Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. This is Doug Cunnington here, and this is going to be a Q&A kind of episode. So we have a question in from Andrew out of Tampa. Actually, it's a series of questions, but they're all sort of related. He sent in a voicemail. Much appreciated, Andrew. So we'll play that shortly. And I also got a question in from Ryan about hosting and specifically hosting on uh, SiteGround. Ryan moved over to SiteGround recently and it wasn't as fast as he was hoping. I hope he used my affiliate link. I'm not sure if Ryan did, but I gave him a couple tips because basically he moved over to SiteGround and all his sites were much slower. So there's sort of a, I guess, not a cardinal sin, but there's a mistake that some of us make with hosting that we don't quite realize. So I think we sorted it out. I haven't heard back for sure from Ryan, but I think it should solve his problem. Before we get into the questions, if you're new to the show, thanks a lot for checking it out. I encourage you to check out a few of the other episodes, specifically the success stories. Typically those have some sort of dollar amount in the title. People seem to really dig those. People actually go back and re-listen to those. I try to, you know, do a good job interviewing folks. I'm always working on that, asking insightful questions and sort of like digging deeper, getting into gory details. The cool thing that happens is, um, especially when you listen to a few of the episodes, success stories, you realize that people are doing things a little bit differently. They're using skills from their previous jobs maybe their education background, maybe they just happen to really love a certain thing and they're good at it. And people sort of like layer on different skills and they they do things differently. So there are many paths to success and re- really an infinite number because whatever skills you have specifically, you can bring something new to the party and you may be able to pick off like one or two things from any one of these interviews that um, really changes things for you, how you think about implementing certain things or I guess using your existing skills. So check those out. And by the way, um, I'm going to ramble on about uh, books a little bit here. So I, I try and read uh, quite a bit. A lot of times I'm reading like uh, fiction books, right? So I, I enjoy fiction quite a bit. I like to read fiction before I go to sleep Um, it kind of gets my brain out of the analytical, um, like problem solving mindset that kind of impacts my sleep. (laughs) So I'll try and read fiction, get into a story. I really enjoy that. So typically like when I'm reading fiction, I read that, uh, on a Kindle before bed, the Kindle is a little lighter to, you know, hold in bed, uh, versus like a, a book. And um, I also listen to audiobooks. So I'm going to talk about a couple audiobooks that I really enjoyed. I listened to in the month of October. So, first one is actually not a fiction book, um, it's a memoir. I'm a huge fan of the Black Crows. Um, I really got into them like in like the late 90s or so, maybe like 97, 98. So, that was sort of. Um, they had some ups and downs, right? So the, this book is called Hard to Handle, The Life and Death of the Black Crows. And it's written by the drummer, Steve Gorman. Really, really awesome book. I love the audio version because Steve reads it himself. And 
as I mentioned, I really enjoy the Black Crows, loved them back in the day. And I actually went to probably, I don't know, over a dozen shows. They're out of the Atlanta area. So they always had like good shows and good turnout. And um, they would fill theaters. Um, basically, when I saw them, it was usually in the theater. Um, and I saw them several, several times. Really, really enjoyed it. Some of the most memorable were back in, I guess it was like 2005, if my year is correct. 2005, they did like four shows at the Tabernacle for people in Atlanta who go to shows. You probably have been there. It's a great spot to see a show. I saw a couple of comedians there as well. And um, I went for two of the four nights and it was just fantastic. So, so enjoyable. Um, it was like part of like a little reunion. Um, the, the band was getting back together around that time. So a lot of good energy and like positive vibes and all that kind of stuff. So really cool book. If you're into the Black Crows, you will absolutely love it. If you just like to hear rock and roll stories and um, like meltdowns and redemption and all that stuff, you will also love it. It's just a good story and it's told really really well. So highly recommend that book. So I'll mention it again. Hard to Handle the Life and Death of the Black Crows by Steve Gorman. Back on the like fiction train here. I also like Stephen King quite a bit. I'm no um, you know, a lot of people like Stephen King, so that's not a rare, a rare situation. But um, for, for years, I was seeing this book out, 11-22-63, and for some reason, I just wasn't paying attention to it, and I, I never like picked it up. I wasn't drawn to it, um, so I, I just ignored it. However, my wife got the audiobook, listened to it, thought it was really enjoyable, at least through you know the first two-thirds or so, and then um, she was like, hey, you should check it out. So I bought it on Audible, and um, yeah. Stephen King, obviously, really good storyteller out there. And um, he hooks you in. The characters are so lifelike and real. Um, it's not so much uh, like a, a horror type book. It's more like, I don't know if I want to say sci-fi, but maybe sci-fi fantasy, but it's not like, uh, you know, crazy supernatural stuff specifically. Um, by the way, if people have uh, read this book, shoot me an email over at feedback at doug.show. Let me know what you thought. I found it super enjoyable. Um, you know, Stephen King like really ropes you in with the story. I listened to it um, basically constantly while I was outside walking, working out, whatever, just trying to like, you know, get into the story even more. It was also through the month of October, which um, usually I try and read like a scary book around that time or at least something you know, maybe by Stephen King, perhaps, um, but something sort of on that side of the uh, the the coin, I guess, genre. I don't know. I started that sentence and I didn't know how I was going to finish it, but 112263 by Stephen King, really good book. If you, um, you kind of have to be a, a reader, you know, you're not going to pick this up casually. A lot of Stephen King's books are, you know, many hundreds of pages long. I think the audio version is something like 30 hours. So it's, it's pretty deep, you know, it's pretty intense. Um, it'll take you a little while to go through it, but on the Audible app, you can listen to it at like different speeds, faster speeds to get through it a little bit more. It's a little, or a little bit more quickly, that is. So my wife 
absolutely hates listening to it at anything other than like 1x, but I'll typically go up to like 1.25 or one and a half for a fiction book like this. Um, funny enough for the, the Black Crows memoir, I, um, I just listened to 1x speed. I won't, I wanted to like really savor going through the whole, uh, story process. Before I play this voicemail from Andrew, I'll just let you know, you can leave a voicemail too. The sweet spot for the length is about 90 seconds. Andrew nailed it here. So there's a phone number in the show notes. So you could check that out. Call, call up, leave me a voicemail. We'll play it on the air. Or if you just want to shoot me an email, feedback at doug.show. That's the way to get in touch with me. You can get the, uh, yeah, you could just put your question in there. You can add more details and context and stuff like that for uh, such a question and much appreciated if there's some sort of a an abstract, an executive summary type deal at the top. I got a fantastic question from, um, actually, I can't remember the person's name, but I have it marked, but it ended up being, I'm not sure how long, to be honest with you, at least probably like three pages worth of like question and context and I'll have to sort through and dig it out. I actually replied back to the person. Uh, maybe they got upset at me, but I was like, can you just make a list of the questions at the at the top or the bottom so I can just like go through like a bulleted list versus a um, having to pick them out. I'm lazy. I, I think I mentioned that um, before, but I'm not trying to create like too much extra work. Again, it was a well thought out question, but it was just like very deep and a lot of uh, details in there. So without further ado, let's play this voicemail from Andrew. Let me see if I can figure out how to do this here. All right, here we go. Hey, Doug, this is Andrew. I'm actually from Tampa, Florida, um, and I just found out about your site and, and I cannot stop getting enough of the podcast and the site. I've been, I've been binging pretty much everything. So. Um, so thank you for everything that you do, but, um, I am just getting started on my first niche site. And, um, so I'm looking at, uh, I was looking at a bunch of different categories and I, I landed on, um, one of the bigger niche categories, you know, think of something like tech or fitness or something like that. Um, and I found a ton of KGR terms in this category, over a hundred. Um, and I know you can, you can even, you know, search and find more than that, but, um, so would this be something that you would go after? I don't want to waste too much time. It's been hours and hours. It's something that may, may be tough for a first time and beginner, but I have found a ton of KGR terms. Would this be something you would attack? Secondly, a second question I have is, um, if you were just starting out, how would you focus on link building? Is there like an 80 20 that you could focus on or, or is it kind of, you just need to spread your resources out, um, between all the points? And, and lastly, uh, how many posts do you need to have? Uh, before applying to Amazon Associates? And should those posts be primarily informational posts in the beginning? Um, thanks so much, Doug. I appreciate it. And you have finally made my uh, top two bald-headed guys. It's Michael Jordan and Doug Cunnington. So congratulations. Thanks so much. All right. I don't think that sentence was ever spoken before with um, my name and Michael Jordan all, all, all together there. But um, yeah, good question, Andrew very much appreciate like all the support and um, that you're binging on the content. I hope it's, well, if, you, if you're binging on it, you're obviously finding it helpful. So that is fantastic. We'll, let's go through these uh, sort of one by one. All right. So first off, you found a lot of KGR terms. You said something like a hundred or so. 
I would say go for it. So without knowing anything else, right? I don't know anything else other than what you just mentioned. So it's limited information, but if you have found that many, chances are there are many other like bigger keywords that, that you'll be able to rank for in the future. And there are probably other keywords that you haven't found yet. Um, so basically I'm saying there's probably a lot of opportunity given the fact that you found like a hundred of them. Now, I could tell you that in the five-figure niche site course, which is my premium course, I don't tell you to find that many keywords. It's it's like more like 20, 25. Like if you can find that many, it sort of proves the viability of the niche. Now there are other factors in there. You know, you want to look at sort of the price point of the products that are in the category. There should be many price points, right? So if you look at, like you said, we'll just say generally in fitness, if you're looking at, um, let's say adjustable barbells or something like that, which that's been a case study out there in the world. So uh, that's why I'm using that example. So adjustable barbells, you maybe can find some really cheap ones that are 20 bucks. And then maybe there are some very expensive ones that are like 300. So for almost any product, you're going to be able to find cheap or expensive when it's like cars or houses or whatever. There's a lot, there's a big range. And as long as you could find like a range of products with a range of prices, you're probably going to be okay. What you don't want is where most of the products are very cheap because the volume that you need is going to be a little bit overwhelming. So you may do a whole lot of work, but you'll end up with just lower commissions overall because the price of the product is just cheap. So keep that in mind. There's not a ton of them out there, but you know, sometimes you will run across them. I I actually don't have any good examples because usually you can find some products out there that are more expensive. So I think you're in good shape. I think you should go for it. Now, one thing you mentioned in this like first part of the question is you don't want to waste too many hours on it and you're a beginner. And here's the reality. So whatever, whatever you're going to do, you're going to waste time. (laughs) All right. So if you're doing something new and you're a beginner, you're going to fuck up a little bit and hopefully it's not going to be a catastrophic mistake that you can't recover from. But sometimes you just have to have like time that you're wasting, right? You, you, You will waste time. You have to put the reps in, you have to, you know, do the keyword research, spend time on the tools, look at the competitor sites, uh, review the quality, the length, just you're going to have to spend a lot of time on it and you will potentially, right? If, if you look at it as, um, hey, did I get an ROI directly from this activity? Then um, if you're looking at it that way, you will find that you are probably wasting a lot of time and you'll be disappointed. However, if you sort of look at it um, in a different light and you think, all right, I have to put time in using these tools, looking at these sites, um, just part of its learning, part of its implementation, part of it is like taking feedback from your actual implementation and then re-executing, right? So if you're thinking about this in a project management standpoint, then you're like, you're taking that feedback, the real data that you have that no one else has, for example, from Google Analytics or the Google Search Console, you could take that information and try to continuously improve, go back, 
do some more work, uh, make things better, right? There's some specific ways to do that, but just in a general sense, um, you know, if you go back and improve things, they'll get better, right? By definition, that's redundant, right? <laughs> so let's move on to the next part. Actually, and I'll just summarize again. So number one, yeah, I think you can go for it as long as you have a decent price point for the various products. I think um, you probably have found a variety of informational and product type keywords. So I think you're okay. You should probably stop doing keyword research at this point. You have way too many keywords. That's enough for quite a while. And you should start executing, start building the site, start doing things. Next, how would you focus on link building? Is there an 80-20 and so on? So I would generally, I, I would keep it simple, right? So I would just work on uh, like blog commenting, guest posting, and or like sort of networking so that you can land guest post. So I know some people will say guest posting is dead or guest posting isn't effective. However, the results seem to be, you know, trending upward, right? For uh, sites that do have links, even if they're from guest posts. So I would say that's probably the, the simplest sort of white hat route. Don't worry about scaling. Don't worry about trying to automate things. You need to figure out how to do it manually first. And then if you would like to add some automation components, you can. However, I think automating an email sort of outreach campaign is going to, it may backfire, right? I know you can do it at scale, but all the emails going out um, these days, because I, I get pitches multiple times a day, they're usually pretty bad. So if you spend the time doing the networking that I described, you know, blog comment a few times, email the person, you're probably going to be able to land those guest posts, probably not going to have to pay for them. And chances are you'll end up with a better link. So if you search for sites to guest post on by looking for, you know, write for me pages or sites that just readily accept contributors, those are probably going to be filled with sort of crappy guest posts or links. So put the time in and um, you'll probably will end up with better links. Related to that question, you asked about like spreading out your resources, whether it's time or money across different like backlinking strategies. And I think it, you will be better served if you focus on one at a time so that you can learn a little bit from that process. Again, trying to improve continuously. Um, if you, for example, let's say you take a few strategies, let's say you do um, infographics, guestographics, um, guest posting, you're doing blog commenting, you're trying to do broken link outreach and like the skyscraper method, you, you're probably going to be spread way too thin. Everything's going to kind of not work um, and it will be really hard to tease out the positive results in any one area. Whereas if you really focus on guest posting for a while, you're going to learn, oh, you know what? This subject line works really good or this approach seems to work well. Whereas if you're just spread thin, you're probably going to be a beginner in each one of those areas and maybe not do that well. I could be wrong and it depends on your resources, your previous experience and a host of other factors, but all, you know, just 
all else being equal, a, a general beginner is probably going to do better if they focus on one area and then move on from there. It's That's just how things go when you're a beginner in something, whether it's like sports or like brewing beer or you know, getting backlinks. So you kind of have to look at it that way. And I think once you get, you know, pretty skilled, maybe I'll just put in air quotes, like an advanced level for guest post outreach, then maybe you can add another layer of complexity on there. But I think that would be, uh, you know, probably the, the best way to approach it. Networking, do the guest posting, and it's a good skill to pick up. A lot of people just hate outreach. They hate guest posting. They hate link building. So if you can figure out how to do it and be you know, generally content working on those activities or hiring people to do those activities, then you'll probably be better off in the long run. Again, some people just hate link building. So if you can do it, then, I mean, you're standing out from the crowd automatically. Last question here. And this one is around applying to the Amazon associate program and like how many posts do you need and what should those posts consist of? So there's no set minimum uh, for applying to the program. So basically you can launch your site, have the like default WordPress install, and technically you can apply. They don't like review your site until you make three separate orders within 180 days. Those are the rules, at least at the time that I'm recording this in November of 2019. So you can apply right away. What I recommend, because you do have that 180 day time limit to make the three separate orders. So it's not three like products that were ordered, right? So keep that in mind. Three separate orders mean three different people have to order via your affiliate link. So once that happens, then they will review your site. So my, my advice is wait until you have about 10 posts because hopefully at that point you're like, you got some content on there. Um, you're going to start getting some traffic. Hopefully if you're using KGR content, you'll probably get a couple visitors like per day, just starting off after like a, a month or six weeks or so. And if you're doing the blog commenting, you'll get a little more traffic as well. Hopefully you'll start ranking in Google organically and you'll get some traffic that way too. So 10 posts, I recommend 50% informational, 50% product reviews. You can do, you know, a few more of either one and it'll probably be okay. There's no set uh, like number or percentage that Amazon recommends, but I mean, there are sites out there that have basically no informational content and you could think of informational content as like how-to content. So there, there are some sites that only have reviews and they literally have no how-to articles. And I know some people may be thinking, oh, that's really bad from a Google standpoint, but I've heard of some folks who they only publish product reviews so that Google only associates their site with product reviews. So there's there's a logic to that. Now I haven't done that myself, but I've heard, you know, as a thought experiment, people talk about it. Perhaps some people are doing it out there. I mean, you could look at big sites like the wire cutter. Um, there's a bunch of others, but that that one comes to mind, which I mean, that's different than most people's sites because it's it's kind of a big site. So the wire cutter, they have tons of excellent information, but it's pretty much almost all review content. 
So it's, it's all product focus, best, you know, whatever out there. Um, so there's no, there's no set amount. And I have seen, though not recently, I have heard of people who, you know, they got an email from Amazon and Amazon said something to the effect of there's uh, too much, you know, advertising content on your site. And that implies like not enough sort of blog content or informational or that sort of thing. So you know, you may have to read between the lines on that. I'm not really sure. I've never gotten an email stating anything like that, but that is, I guess, sort of the risk. And that's what people are thinking about when they're like, oh, how much, should, how much uh, like informational content or product reviews or whatever. So my advice is about 50-50. And you can wait to apply to the program if you want. So one strategy that I recommend occasionally, right? Depending, it depends on how much time you can spend on the site um, over the 180 day period. But um, if you are uncertain, if you're going to be like hammering away for the first, you know, three months and really putting in a lot of time, say one to two hours a day for the first three months, if, if you don't know if you can do that, then one strategy would be set up your site, you know, publish the 10 pieces of content, work on it as you can, and then wait until you're getting like 10 to 15 unique visitors per day to your site. And then usually at that point, you can make three sales within, you know, a month or so. So that that's a lot of assumptions in there. I'm not like going through each one of those assumptions, but just in a general sense, like if you over, over that amount of time, if you're getting like we'll just say 10 visitors a day, right? 10 visitors a day over the course of a month, you'll have 300 visitors and probably one out of a hundred, right? A lot of assumptions in here, but one out of a hundred people, they're probably going to order something if it's generally buyer's traffic, not all buyer's traffic, right? But generally some people are interested in making a purchase and they hop over to Amazon. So those are some just ballpark numbers, like very, very broad. Most of the time that's going to work out. So if you wait until you're getting like 10 or 15 visitors a day and you apply, you should be able to make those three sales within a month or so. Some will be much faster. Some will be a little slower, but you'll be in good shape. And if you're you know, doing a decent amount of work on your site, traffic should be slowly growing. And again, you'll be fine. At that point, Amazon will review your site to check it out for like terms of service and and violations um, or if you're doing everything fine. So I don't know how that process works. I'm not associated with um, Amazon other than, uh, you know, working as an affiliate. So you could check with them. They may be able to give you some information, although I've never tried myself. So let's move on to the hosting question here. And this is from Ryan uh, before I go on. Thanks again, Andrew, for sending that in. Really appreciate it. Nice, tight question. Very succinct. Love it. All right. So Ryan moved over to SiteGround. And by the way, I'm an affiliate for SiteGround. So if you want to sign up, maybe speed up your hosting, um, you can sign up through my link. If you do, I really appreciate it. I get a commission um, for that. So it's pretty standard with hosting these days. I mean, if you hear someone talking about hosting, like there's probably like a 99% chance that they are an affiliate. So SiteGround is pretty awesome. I have actually several sites over there at this time. And the reason why is their customer service is so fantastic. So 
I had a lot of issues with Bluehost because while, you know, they have customer service people out there that will chat with you, um, you can call in, they are literally customer service folks. So at least the people that I talk to, so big disclaimer there, whenever I've tried to get help, it was not actually a technical person. It wasn't an admin who could log onto the server and check things out for me. I have a technical background. I know a lot of you uh, guys and gals out there also have technical backgrounds. And um, I was asking like harder questions and I wanted them to do certain things. I I don't know if I was uh, wrong or right in those areas, but you know, I'm a know-it-all. I think you you guys understand that at this point. But um, when I was trying to get in touch with Bluehost, they're like, okay, well, we see there's some issue here. Uh, we, we do see your site's been down for six hours. Um, so we'll open a ticket for the, the technical team and the admins, and they'll get back to you. And then it goes into a black hole. And um, I would have to follow up. They're like, oh, we rebooted the server. Everything's cool now except it wasn't because it would crash again the next day. So I had a really tough time with Bluehost until I evacuated all my sites off of Bluehost and they are sitting with various other companies at this point. Okay, fast forward to Ryan's actual question. He said, hey, I signed up at Bluehost. I moved over all my sites. In fact, I just purchased a site and um, I was like, this is a good time to move over. He said that uh, the site that he purchased, he, he cleaned up, he made sure things were up to date. He cleared out some plugins that were either uh, unnecessary or redundant or garbage or whatever. He then told me that all his sites are now slow. He checked with the customer service, or sorry, the technical support more uh, more accurately at SiteGround. So he, he was able to either chat or call on the phone or, or get support uh, in some capacity from SiteGround. They, they checked things, they made sure you know nothing weird was going on, there's no problems with the server or DNS or whatever, but the sites were slow. He said all, all his sites were slow. So after a few years of making some silly mistakes with WordPress, um, I kind of know my way around a little bit. Um, so I asked Ryan if he's hosting all of his WordPress sites on one hosting package. And if I, I don't remember exactly, but Let's just say he has the average hosting package. Um, nothing too crazy. And w- let's just make up an example and say he's paying like 40, $45 a month, right? So he, he has like an average plan, basically is what I'm trying to say. So he has an average plan out there. And he said, yes, I have all these sites on one hosting package. And I think that is the issue. All right, I'm pretty sure that's the problem. And it turns out, as I've tried to speed up my WordPress installs, WordPress is kind of slow. <laughs> it's kind of a big behemoth at this point. I know a lot of people will say, hey, WordPress is so easy to use and there's such a big ecosystem. It's not that easy to use, uh, to be honest with you. If you look at some of the flat file systems out there. Again, we're totally geeking out and getting nerdy here. But if you look at some of the flat file systems out there that seem to be a little more, um, well, they're just not as popular. I mean, WordPress is like one of the biggest or the biggest CMS out there, content management system. And that's why, you know, more people use it. And then I talk about it. I mean, I end up using it, but it's not that easy to, to get in there and start using The point that I'm trying to make here before I go on some wild tangent here, 
about like, I'm wearing like a tinfoil hat talking about flat file systems here. Basically, WordPress gets bogged down if you put a bunch of like separate installs on the same hosting package. Yes, I know that you can host like unlimited um, like websites on some hosting uh, packages. That's pretty common, right? But as soon as you put like a couple of them on there, it's all the database calls. So WordPress is like so dynamic and versatile and it's a one size fits all. I mean, you can put a content site on there. You can host a membership site, um, huge blogs that get, you know, millions of visitors, many, many millions of visitors per month or even per day, right? I think there are some big new sites that are, I mean, they're on WordPress, right? They're on some pretty, you know, fancy servers out there, but WordPress, super versatile, but unfortunately you give up um, like performance in some ways. So the point is, I told Ryan, hey, try and move some of those sites off, particularly like, you know, if you have like uh, one site that's getting, which I think this is the case, I can't remember, I don't have the email right in front of me, but, you know, Ryan had a site that's getting like a thousand visitors a day. And at that point, it's like that, that site should be on its own hosting package and nothing else should be on there. It should be one WordPress install. It it gives, you know, that install room to breathe. And maybe you don't get many, very many visitors on the other sites. So maybe you can group those together in another hosting package. What I've started to do is have like, you know, my bigger sites will be on an individual hosting package by themselves. When traffic starts to go up, I could just upgrade that particular server or whatever package I have. Um, a lot of times you can just upgrade real time, like with uh, SiteGround, for example, I know I get more traffic in certain periods of the year. So they have like a scalability option where um, if I hit a certain threshold, I can't remember what it is, but for the sake of this example, let's say it's 75% of like CPU usage or memory. If I hit like 75%, it'll scale up. It'll auto scale for like a month. So I'm trucking along. Um, everything's fine. We are rolling into the retail season and traffic goes up pretty dramatically. My, my uh, hosting package auto scales for me and I just get an email. Hey, um, we auto scaled. It's going to be, I can't remember exactly, but let's say 20 to $30 extra for that month, but they just added two new processors and doubled the memory for example. So I don't remember the specifics of what I have, but you could like put in the specs. Um, and then the next month it'll, it'll drop back down, um, as needed. Uh, I think it continues to monitor like the usage and stuff like that. So I found that super effective for the last couple retail seasons. Um, another thing to note is, oh, I didn't finish that whole thought there. So yeah, the smaller sites that don't get very much traffic yet, um, I will still potentially move those over to their own hosting package. It gives you a little bit more, at least personally, I like having it as, on a separate hosting package just in general. So that's just my own option. Um, you can say, for example, get a bigger hosting package and then have multiple sites on that one like hosting account in my opinion, you are still running into some of those um, issues with uh, database calls and 
bogging down your CPU. One other thing I'll mention, although Ryan didn't ask this um, specifically or at all, but um, every now and every now and then I noticed that like my site would go down or it would end up getting like a, I think it's like a 500, um, like a 503 error. Basically, it's like a database error kind of situation. And I would check with the hosting company. They're like, ah, you know, everything seems to be fine. Um, you know, make sure you clear your cache, but everything seems to be fine now. And then it would start working again. And what I realized is often when I started, you know, seeing the trend, I, I realized that that's, that's a sign that your, your uh, CPU and your memory are being like used too much, right? Basically, you're hitting capacity, right? You're hitting the capacity of your hosting package. And if you take a look at it and you start seeing those 503 errors, I think that's what they are, 503 errors, um, go ahead and upgrade your hosting package and you may find that those go away. So it's a little hard to get information on it because it's kind of a vague error. But what I did is I would go back um, on the C panel for my hosting and I would look at like CPU usage and memory usage and try to see like, was there, was there a little bit of a spike? And it's really kind of strange. Um, everything's trucking along fine for a while. Maybe I'm using... Um, 20 to 40% of CPU and memory for quite a while. And then it creeps up. Let's say traffic goes up, for example, it goes a little higher. And then once you get to sort of that higher level, like maybe 85% or higher of CPU usage, weird things start happening. And sometimes you'll see those 503 errors, but not always. Some people will be able to load the site. Other people um, won't be able to load it at all. They may see such an error, the 500 error. Um, other people may be able to load the site, but it takes a really long time. Like it may take 30 seconds to load the page. And just, again, strange things are happening out there. So if you see some of those funny things going on, like that may be an opportunity or at least one thing to try is to just you know, ad hoc, add more resources to your hosting package. So for example, add more cores, you know, one or two more cores, add a little bit more memory. And if the problem goes away, then obviously the extra resources have helped out. So green conclusion on that one is that um, Ryan should move the smaller sites off of whatever hosting package he's on so that that the site that's getting all that traffic is just by itself has free reign on all those resources. And chances are um, he may be fine right where he is. He could also add, I know on SiteGround, an auto scaling capability so that, you know, if, if things are getting funny, if things aren't loading as quickly as he hopes, then, um, you know, it'll auto scale based on whatever criteria he sets up there. So, Thanks a lot for sending in those questions. And before we wrap it up, I'm going I'm to hop on my phone here. I'm going to try to find some reviews that were left um, in, in recent times for the Doug show. So I really appreciate it when you do leave those reviews. I know some people were actually asking on how do you leave, how you do leave reviews for um, like Apple iTunes. That's kind of where I'm trying to, to get them. Um, so you may have to search around. I think the best way to do it is to just search for uh, Doug.show. And then if you scroll down to the bottom, you'll see like the list of ratings and reviews, and then you'll have an opportunity to leave one. So let's see. 
Let's see what we got here. All right. So this is from ID Play. And this is a pretty recent one. So I, I, I'm glad that people are listening to leave reviews. Um, ID Play says, insightful. It's a five-star review. Much appreciated. Been loving the podcast lately as Doug is as, sorry, let, let's try again. Been loving this podcast lately as a newbie to the niche site game. Doug provides actionable insights and relatable content in his podcast and YouTube channel that I've been able to implement in my own business. Very helpful. Awesome. Awesome. Um, this is from Z Bodog. I'm not sure the pronunciation of that one says enjoyable, highly recommended. It's a great podcast with lots of info and you can't recommend it more. All right, let's go back a little bit further. And actually I I need to, um, need to maybe log the ones that I've talked about already because, um, it occurs to me that I could be repeating myself at some point, which I think I do actually pretty often. Okay. I'll do two more. These are from the beginning of the year back from, from January when I first launched the show. This is from corn consumer. I get a lot from Doug Cunnington's YouTube channel and blog, and I'm looking forward to more great content. All right. So he was just pumped for the podcast in general. Doug knows his stuff. This is from Jaron. I've been a fan of Doug's content for a while. He's extremely smart and really knows affiliate marketing. Great. I love it. And um, if you want to have your review featured, I'll give you a little shout out just like I did here. Um, just leave a voicemail, especially on the uh, the US version of the iTunes, um, or I guess it's Apple podcast is what they call it now, but iTunes. And if you have trouble like figuring out how to leave a review, like I said, I think the easiest way to do it, you can do it right on your phone search for the show. You know, you go for the little uh, magnifying glass. You could search for the show. Even if you're already subscribed, I think this is the best way. Search for the show, scroll down to the bottom. You'll see the review section, the ratings and review section. And then you could click, you know, write a review or leave a rating. And, uh, you know, you could write whatever you want. Hopefully it's positive. You know, most of them are positive and people are taking the time to actually uh, write them out. I think they, they usually like me. It's much appreciated. And uh, the cool part, the reason why I'm like reignited, like trying to tell people about leaving a review and all that stuff is um, best I can tell every now and then we're showing up in the top 200 or even the top 100 marketing podcasts in the US. So there's a lot of podcasts out there. I didn't think I'd ever show up in any sort of uh, chart or anything like that, but occasionally we do pop in there. I'm not sure what the algorithm is drawing upon. I have a feeling it may be more similar to the YouTube algorithm where if people are downloading, listening to the episodes and listening to a lot of the episodes, that could be what's triggering it. So um, I haven't actually like looked for this information specifically, but like Apple has sort of a beta version of analytics, which give way better data than um, like what we used to be able to get, which honestly, I mean, a lot of the podcasting, a lot of the podcasting uh, hosts out there, they're like, hey, our analytics are great, blah, blah, blah. I found that analytics are not very good. Like there's there's issues with the data where I see like inconsistent data with my, uh, I guess, hosting analytics, whatever they tell me. I use Castos. I mean, 
it's a good value. Uh, they do a, a pretty good job. People can download the podcast. Using it is fairly easy. But when I look at the analytics, um, it, it's kind of fucked up. Like it, it's not accurate. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not accurate. I've actually um, identified a few areas. I've asked them to look into it. And they're like, oh, wow, we do see that there's a problem there. And um, they're like, oh, we'll have the developer look into it, which I've, I've never heard back. So anyway, getting into the weeds here, but if you, if you leave a review, I really appreciate it. If you download all the episodes and like listen to them all, I mean, that's awesome too. So anyway, we'll leave it at that. Thanks for tuning into the Doug show today. We'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to The Doug Show. I really do appreciate it. I mean, I'm just sitting here at my computer recording stuff and uh, you're listening to it. And I think that's awesome. If you enjoy the show and you know someone who maybe would be interested in it, please let them know. I think it would be fantastic if you help spread the word. If you are not signed up for the Niche Site Project email list, well, you're in luck. All you have to do is go to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, enter your name and email address, and I'll send you a bunch of cool stuff about affiliate marketing, productivity, including all my templates. If you happen to not be subscribed to this podcast, please do subscribe. And don't forget, I welcome your questions. So you could send uh, your emails to feedback at doug.show. I got that really cool domain, doug.show, that's it. So feedback at doug.show. Or I'm going to leave my voicemail number in the show notes. So all you have to do is give me a buzz, leave a voicemail, and then I'll potentially put you on the air. So looking forward to it and we'll catch you next time.